Good morning, everybody. If you are new with us today, a warm welcome to you. My name is Nick. I'm the senior pastor here. I want to take a minute, recognize those of you in the live stream. Good morning to you as well. We have every week uh, some hundreds of people that are accessing the service online. And I just want to say to you, we are so happy that you're accessing the service online. We'd be even happier if you were here with us so we could see your face. Uh, But we uh, love the opportunity to share God's word with people throughout the region. And that's what we're going to do this morning. So let's take a moment and bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the celebration of new life that we have today. We ask that you would help us, help us to see clearly, do the work that you can only do in our midst this morning by the power of your spirit. Amen. What does the gospel offer? That's an important question. If I am sharing that there are two ways to live with someone and we walk through the story of God and creation and sin and rebellion and redemption and resurrection and new life that follows, the very narrative of scripture that we talked about just moments ago and somebody says to me, okay, I I, I understand that you're asking me to adopt a set of beliefs that I'm I'm now becoming familiar with, that you're offering to me a level of new trust and a new way of life, and they ask, well, what's in it for me? That's a question that I can respect. You don't make big changes in your life without understanding the dynamics of those changes. And if, if we've done a good job of explaining the gospel, then of course they will understand our biggest need is to be restored to God as our king. And therefore forgiveness that Jesus offers us is the chance to do that. That is the biggest offer of the gospel. But beyond that, how would you describe what the gospel offers? The answer might be a bit surprising because the first thing that the gospel offers is death. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the apostle Paul describes what Jesus does and he says this starting in verse 14, it'll be on the screen behind me. He says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all Therefore, all have died. The gospel offers death. He goes on to say, And he died for all that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but live for him who for their sake died and was raised. And from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. So Paul says that Jesus' death actually offers us a unique type of death. You might call it death to the way that you were living for yourself. 
You might remember the first two points of two ways to live. God is a loving creator of the world. He is the king. And we reject God as our ruler and our king by living our lives our own way. The rejection of God as the king, we become locked into a form of rebellion against him, our way of life, our self-sufficiency. And 2 Corinthians says that one of the benefits of the gospel is that through Jesus' death, you die to that type of self-sufficiency. Paul goes on to elaborate on this in Romans chapter 6. He points to a symbol of death, which is baptism, and a symbol of new life, which is baptism. And listen, listen to all the language about death that he talks about here. He says in Romans 6, 1 to 11, what shall we say? Are, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can he who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death has no longer dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So Paul explains how our baptism is a symbol, a physical sign that displays the spiritual reality of death in our lives. And he says that we're dead to sin, which is another way of saying we're dead to ourselves. And there's a spiritual resurrection that happens. And look at how many times he says it. Death, dead, dead, death, died, died, dead, death, 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 died. It's almost depressing. <laughs> Until you realize what kind of death he's talking about. 14 times in 11 verses, he talks about our participation in death. But when you're dead to self-rule, self-determination, when you're dead to your rebellion against our king, when you're dead to our sin, that's what he's talking about. And what does the gospel offer? The gospel offers death. My need to sin, dead. My status as a slave to sin, dead. My self-centeredness is dead. My insatiable desire to serve my own goals and to use other people out there to get there is dead. My personal throne is dead. 
My hunger for my glory is dead. And if those are the things that define us, as we pursue our own kingdom, our own rule, and those things are dead, then what does the gospel replace them with? Well, the first and most obvious is the channel by which the gospel replaces them. And that is, as we've talked about at great length, the forgiveness of sins. That Jesus came and died and his penalty on the cross offers forgiveness. That means the weight of sin is gone. Guilt is removed far away from us. The wrath of God is satisfied against that sin. And as a result, we receive new life. What is death followed by? It's followed by new life. The Bible is full of verses that describe what this new life looks like. It uses the phrase like born again and, and coming into new life and having eyes to see and ears to hear and having a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. All of these are descriptors of new life. Some of you might have thought that a born again Christian is a political designation. It's a spiritual designation. It's a spiritual designation to describe what we call regeneration. 1 John 5.1, John says this, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father has been born of him. God does not leave us dead with nowhere to go. He makes us alive. Have you ever wondered why you really didn't care to know God all that much before you were introduced to his love through the gospel? You ever look back at your life and you said, it's really interesting that we talk about now the most important things in the universe, things of eternal consequence. I never cared about any of that before. How could that possibly be? You're a relatively intelligent person. How could you not care about the most important things? Because you weren't alive. <laughs> when translator Des Otridge was working in Papua New Guinea, he came across the challenge that all Bible translators have, and that is how do you make a word, how do you make a word communicate its meaning through translation into a different language? And he came across the word born again in John chapter 3. And he asked a native co-translator to think about a good way to express that, and the man explained this custom. He said, sometimes a person goes wrong and will not listen to anybody. We all get together in the village and place that person in the midst of us, and the elders talk to him for a long time, and they say, you have gone wrong. All your thoughts, your intentions, your values, they're wrong. Now you have to become a baby again and start to relearn everything right. <laughs> that was the answer that Des was looking for. Today, in the words of John 3.3, 3, in the binumerian language, it reads, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he becomes like a baby again <laughs> and relearns everything from God's 
word. And so when you are born again, when you receive new life, you come alive to the things of God. You become alive to his word. It becomes alive to you and you desire to read it. You become alive to communing with God in prayer. You become alive to pursuing what is right according to God's standards, not your own. You become alive to a new type of generosity and you give of yourself because you finally see how generous the king has been with you. You become alive to the spiritual state of those around you because you so desperately want them to experience the affections and the joy and the peace and the love that you've experienced. And so you are enlivened to this new life and desire it for them as well. In the New Testament, Jesus says that the greatest fulfillment a person can have in this world comes in the form of this new life. John 10.10, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Your best possible life is new life. And that's what the gospel offers. This new life has a number of benefits to it. The first of which is freedom. Paul says that we read just a minute ago in Romans chapter 6. You might have caught the language. There's language about slavery in there. Romans 6, 6 and 7. We know that the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who's died has been set free. What does a slave do? A slave does whatever its master makes it do. Period. Because you are a slave to sin, you have to sin. <laughs> it, it becomes your master. But when a slave dies, is he still a slave? No. Paul says that when the slave to sin dies with Christ, that person receives a new life and they receive freedom from what previously enslaved them. Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. That's really interesting to peel back the layers because when you think about it, so many of us thought for the longest time that, wow, man, if I follow God, then I'm not really free to do what I want to do. God imposes all of these rules on me that make my life no fun as if I know what will be the most fulfilling for me if these rules weren't impressed upon me. And the exact opposite is true. <laughs> the things that we think in our, in our short-sightedness might bring us fulfillment so often do not bring us fulfillment. They actually enslave us. Conversely, when you receive the new life in Christ, not only do you want to follow the way of God, your king, but you realize that in this is a tremendous amount of freedom. And that is a benefit of the gospel. 
Another benefit of the gospel is presence. When a person experiences new life in Christ, they experience the presence of God in a way that you have not experienced it before. You know this, those of you that are Christians. You've experienced the presence of God. It happens in two ways. First is through what we call our union with Christ. You become united with Jesus in a mysterious spiritual way. The Bible is, has all this language of being found in Christ and Christ in you. That means that Jesus and you become spiritually united and he never lets you go. He will accomplish his purposes in you all the way to the end of your days. And as a result, you will be with him forever. The second way that you experience God's presence uniquely is for those who have new life, they are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, eternal in its and his nature, this mysterious person takes up residence in the life of the one who has faith in Christ. Now the Spirit has many functions, but chief among them is to continually point you back to Jesus. That's what it means when Jesus says the Spirit will lead you into all truth. And when Paul says the Spirit will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. And we see that the Spirit empowers Christians with gifts to serve their king. All of them pointing them back to King Jesus. And this is amazing because it means that no longer are you a rebel and an enemy of God, but you are his friend. But you're not just his friend. You become his child, and you're not just his child, but your very body becomes the temple of God as the Spirit takes up residence in you. God is not only looking out for you from a distance, but he is for you, and he is not only for you, he is with you, and he's not only with you. He resides in you. And the promise to never leave you or forsake you is guaranteed by his very presence in your life through the Holy Spirit as a down payment for all eternity. So when you are in the deepest battle, with cancer. You are not alone. God is with you. When you are in the darkest hour of depression, you are not alone. God is with you. When your marriage feels like it is crumbling and you don't know what to do. You are not alone. God is present. When you are up all night crying your eyes out because of another serious mistake that one of your kids has made and you so desperately want them to know the Lord and to love him and to follow him, you are not alone. 
God is right there. And when you are at the crossroads of life and you genuinely just don't know what to do, whether to turn left or to turn right, you're not alone. God, the very spirit of God is in you. What does the gospel offer? New life. And new life gives you freedom. And new life gives you God's presence. This new life also gives you truth about the world, ourselves, and God. The truth. What is real? That's what new birth, new life offers. The world as we are experiencing it or have experienced it, it, apart from God, is not an experience of the complete truth. That's hard to comprehend. Looking backwards now as a Christian, you, you can actually see how that's true, how that's, how that's correct. But when you're blind and you've always been blind, you don't know what it is to see. <laughs> and that's why Jesus talks about this with regard to his mission so much. The Gospel of John is littered with these statements of truth. Right at the beginning of John 1.17 says the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John 4.23, and on the hour is coming and is now here, Jesus says, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. John 8, 31 to 33, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. John 17, 17, Jesus prays to his father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. John 8, 44 is the opposite of truth. The devil, he is a liar and the father of lies. But John 8, 45, because I tell the truth, some people don't want to believe me. John 14, 6, Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth. And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In John chapter 14 and 15 and 16, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of truth. In John 18, 37, Jesus, moving toward his crucifixion, stands before Pilate, and Pilate says, So you're a king? And Jesus answered him, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born. I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. This is why I came. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. In a book entitled An Anthropologist on Mars, the neurologist Oliver Sacks tells about Virgil, a man who had been blind from early childhood, but when he was 50, he underwent surgery and was given the gift of sight. But as he and Dr. Sachs found out, having the physical capacity for sight is not the same as seeing. Virgil's first experiences of sight were confusing. He was able to make out colors and movements, but arranging them into coherent patterns and pictures were more difficult. 
Over time, he learned to identify various objects, but his habits and his behaviors were still those of a blind person. Dr. Sachs asserted, one must die as a blind person to be born again as a seeing person. It is the interim, the limbo, that is so terrible. So in a world that denies the very existence of objective truth and objective falsehood, Jesus uses the exact categories of objective truth and objective falsehood. New life in Jesus is directly related to understanding the truth. Now, of course, we're not saying that people who don't know Jesus can't know certain aspects of truth. The earth is round, the grass is green, chocolate chip cookies are really good. These are truths. We might call them truths of lesser consequence. But when it comes to the biggest truth of them all, what is real? What is eternal? What is of the highest worth and value? The truth about God, the world, ourselves. New life in Jesus illuminates the truth. You know, another thing this new life offers, and it goes in line with the truth, is what real love looks like. Love is the most wonderful expression that we have toward each other. It's primarily a choice, secondarily an emotion. It is not primarily romantic, though that is a powerful expression of love. It is directed toward others, not toward ourselves. And there's a lot of confusion in the world today about what love truly is and what it isn't. But when you have new life in Jesus, you begin to see what real love looks like. The Bible describes it in a lot of different facets. 1 John 4:19, we love because he first loved us. John 3:16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. John 15:13, greater love has no man than this, no one than this that Jesus says that someone lay down his life for his friends. Romans 12:9 and 10, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, that chapter that you often hear at weddings is not primarily about romantic love. It's really about the love that Christians are to show to one another. And you hear expressions like love is patient and kind, does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. That's not love. It does not insist on having its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. Hmm. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And so faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of them is love. Your capacity to love will grow as a Christian. 
when you have new life. Many of you can relate to this dynamic, but I remember when we had our first daughter and immediately upon her birth, in the moment of it, I looked at her and this flood of emotion and this feeling and choice of love totally filled my being. How could I love someone who I'd never met before so much? I would do anything for her. I would give her anything that she needed. I would die for her if that was required of me. I thought that I knew love. But then you have kids and you realize that there's a whole category of love that you are now able to understand. Similarly, friends, before you knew Christ, you think you know love. However, when you have new life, there is a whole category of love that you now are able to understand. So death, forgiveness, new life, freedom, presence, truth about God, ourselves, and the world, what love really looks like, those are the things that the gospel offers. And the, gr the greatest reward of them all, of course, comes in the form of eternal life with God. Heaven is not the reward of eternal life. Being with our king forever is the reward. There's no more pain, no more suffering. Everything is restored fully under the perfect rule of the king. The source of our lasting hope fuels us through this life toward eternal life. The ultimate sign of God's desire for you, his ultimate sign is that he wants to spend eternity with you forever. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, Jesus says. The wrath of God remains on him. John 5, and this is the testimony. God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. The gospel offers us new life and eternal life. Now I want to close this morning with two important perspectives for us to consider. I wonder if you ever heard of the lost woman who searched for herself. This happened a handful of years ago during a tourist bus excursion to a volcanic canyon in Iceland. A woman was reported missing when she failed to return to the bus. The bus driver waited for an hour before notifying the Icelandic police. And soon after the missing person's report came, search and rescue teams and even a helicopter arrived on the scene to search for the missing woman. About 50 people participated in the search and on vehicles and on foot. But the search was called off after about 12 hours when the authorities discovered that the missing woman wasn't really missing. She was actually on the bus and had even been part of the search party. 
Apparently, after re-entering the bus after the stop uh, in the canyon, she changed her clothes and freshened up a bit. Other passengers didn't recognize her. And the chief of police told reporters that the woman, it was an innocent mistake. She recognized the description of herself and had no idea that she was missing. Friends, there are a lot of people who might be religious. There's a lot of people who might go to church. There are a lot of people who are on the tour, so to say. They maybe are even doing really good things, like joining in in the search party without realizing that they are the ones who need to be found. Friend, maybe that's you. Maybe you're the one who needs to repent of sin and rebellion, to believe in Jesus as Savior, to receive new life. Is that you? Are you part of the search party looking for yourself? You can ask God for new life. And he is the one who gives it. And maybe even now he's nudging you with your sin, your need for freedom from it, his presence, his truth, his love, eternal life. Don't let another day pass before you receive what he's offering for you. Secondly, some of us might look at our past and we might say, my life is broken. It's like a bowl that was swept off the table onto the floor and it's shattered into pieces. I've made so many mistakes. I have so much guilt. I have so much shame. There is no way that this thing could be put back together again. And even if it is, how could God do this? How could God give me new life? I wonder if you've ever heard of the ancient Japanese art of kintsukuroi, which means golden repair. It's the art of restoring broken pottery with gold so that the fractures are literally illuminated. It's a kind of physical expression of its spirit. As a philosophy, kintsukuroi celebrates imperfection as an integral part of the story, not something to be disguised. The artists believe that when something has suffered damage and has a history, it is possible for it to become even more beautiful. In Kinsakore, the true life of an object or a person begins the moment it breaks, the moment it dies, and it's revealed to be vulnerable. And the new life that it has is filled with this gap between the once pristine appearance on the outside with its visible perfection on the inside. And the gold deepens its appeal. What a phenomenal picture of new life. That God can take you and me, broken bowls that we are, he gives us death. And in this death, he gives new life. Life to the full, eternal life. 
And it's infinitely more beautiful upon this profound regeneration. What does the gospel have to offer? The gospel has to offer everything of the greatest value to you. And so may you take it and trust it and live it and enjoy the new life that God gives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all the descriptions of life that is found in our Savior. Today we ask, God, for anyone here who has not received new life, that you are drawing and nudging, only you can give this new life, that you would do that today and more would experience it in all of its joy. Father, as we celebrate new life now in a moment, we pray that you would be glorified and that we would be built up as we see expressions of this in baptism. We ask for your help in this in Jesus' name. Amen.